Hello, listeners, and welcome to Closing Time, the podcast that provides an inside look at the world of healthcare startups and venture capital. I'm Hallie Tecco. And I'm Michael Esquivel. Each episode, we get the privilege of meeting entrepreneurs at the forefront of healthcare innovation. You get to eavesdrop on pitches that are reshaping healthcare from founders daring to think differently. So pull up a chair and join us as we journey into the future of healthcare, one pitch at a time. Today, we have a special guest, Blake Wu, partner at NEA. Blake works closely with the firm's healthcare growth and public investment practices. Thanks for joining us, Blake. Thanks, Michael and Ellie. It's great to see you guys both. Really excited to be here. And James, thank you so much for the time. And of course, today's founder is James Murray, the co-founder and CEO of Therify. Uh, thanks, thanks to you as well, James, for joining us today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, James, maybe you can start by telling us about your background and what led you to starting Therify. Yeah, sure. So to understand my background, my story, you really have to understand my childhood. Um, I lost my father to colon cancer uh, when I was 12 years old. He was my hero, right, as, you know, most people's fathers are. But I was so young at the time that it was really difficult for me to process those emotions. Uh, And so I ended up pretty much subduing them, right, all the way through my teen years, through my 20s. Until, you know, I got to my lower 30s and, you know, life's getting hard, life's getting real, real responsibilities. And I just was feeling the void of, you know, not having someone to guide me. And so, um, you know, I think I cried about losing my dad for the first time when I was like 32. Right. And then at the time, I was kind of also reeling emotionally. In 2016, you had the unfortunate murders of Philando Castile, Alton Sterling on on back-to-back days. And so it was a black man just emotionally reeling from that as well. And so um, I was working at Facebook at the time and finally decided, you know, I need to get some help, right? Um, Never thought that I would be the type of person to go to therapy, but it was time. And so uh, I remember, you know, signing up for the mental health benefit that we had at the time And for some reason, I thought that it would just be easy, right? Like, I was courageous enough to go. I should just be able to start. And I remember getting, you know, matched with these therapists, and I I would be in these consultations, literally, like, explaining what it feels like to be Black in America. (laughs) And I'm just like, this can't be it, right? Like, this is not my match, right? And so ended up going through another three to four consultations before finding the right fit. And, um, you know, fortunately, I was persistent, but had so many friends, so many family members who went through that same thing and just gave up and, you know, didn't get the care they desperately needed. And so that led me to learning about this clinical concept called the Therapeutic Alliance, which essentially states that the empathy and understanding that exists between a patient and provider is the number one signal that determines if you can get to a positive outcome in care. And so with Therify, like that's what we're trying to optimize for, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We want to give everyone the opportunity to achieve a therapeutic alliance and not have to go through all the hurdles that I went through. And so that's kind of the genesis of it and and how we got to where we are today. Can you tell us a little bit about the product and how someone kind of onboards and what their experience is? Yeah. So uh, Therify, we're an inclusive mental health benefit. Um, And so we match uh, employees with licensed therapists and coaches Mm -hmm. uh, who have similar backgrounds and shared experiences. And, And that is the premise of the therapeutic alliance, as I talked about. And so 
Um, every one of our customers, we work with companies like Indeed and Thumbtack and Dataminer, Publicis Media. And so as an employee, you can log into our platform. Uh, you can take a self-assessment. And we are asking you for all of the criteria, all the information that we know clinically leads to a therapeutic alliance. And so not just right where you're located in your insurance, but what is your communication style? What is your cultural background, right? And your identity, how do those things inform how you show up emotionally? And then we match you, right? With three to five recommendations that you can choose from. And so rather than getting 20 pages of recommendations, you're getting three to five that we all know are a pretty good fit for you, right? And then you can choose, you can schedule and you can start. And so essentially we're removing right, all of those barriers that I went through and that so many people still go through um, when they're getting matched with a provider. And are you paid for the match or are you paid for the match and the on some ongoing fee for every session that works out? It depends on our relationship. So we sell directly to employers. And so mm -hmm. our business model is a subscription, right? And so the employer is basically paying a per employee per month cost for employees to get matched. We do have an optional add-on where employers can cover the cost of sessions, right, um, for their employees if they would like. But in either scenario, I think what's really nice is we're matching in-network with the health plan, right? And so it's affordable. Even if you have covered sessions, you can still continue to see your same therapist, right, after those sessions are over. And so I think the continuity of care piece is really important. And that's something that a lot of our competitors don't do is, is matching in network. Yeah, I was just going to ask on the therapist, James. So it sounds like uh, they're not employees of, of Therify. Is that right? That's, just for, yeah, please. That, that's, that's correct. We do have a network of providers who are 1099 and they reserve a certain amount of space or availability for our clients. But we're not trying to be like this comprehensive clinic, right? We're trying to be good at one thing and one thing only, and that's matching, Right. And so that's that's really our core competence. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And I was going, I think, in a similar direction to you, Michael. James, it'd be helpful to understand how you built that provider network over time. What are you looking for in providers? Obviously, I think a lot of us have seen not only, unfortunately, the increase on the demand side, but how difficult it has been from the supply side in this part of the market as well. So we would certainly be curious about how you look at your network today and how you think that will evolve over time. Yeah, I interesting. I actually think there are some misconceptions around like supply side scarcity, right? This is this is a big narrative, right? There aren't enough suppliers. If you really do the research, right, there are 650,000 mental health professionals in the U.S. collectively have capacity to see about 30 million clients a year. So about 10 percent of the U.S. population. So it's a decent amount of capacity. And so for us, I think the problem is not so much capacity. It's really it's difficult to find the right one, you know what I mean? And so that's the kind of the gap that we're filling. But that said, you know, we, we I don't necessarily have like, have like a sexy answer to how we built our provider network in the beginning. It was really just being scrappy, right? I think a lot of our providers are attracted to our mission and our values. And so it was a lot of like BD work in the early days going out and recruiting providers. But I think what we've started to do is build a flywheel, right? of providers, because you have to realize too, like the match goes both ways. It's not just about, you know, the employee or the client getting a perfect match. Providers also have an ideal type of client, right? 
And so that's like the value prop that we add to them. It's you come to our network and you can serve the type of client that you get really passionate about serving, right? And so now we've de developed this flywheel where, you know, for every two providers, I'm sorry, one provider that we recruit, we have two more coming inbound, right? And so there's still that outbound motion, but a lot of our, our recruitment is coming inbound now too. James, I think I'm sure the listeners were as well moved by your story and your personal connection to this. And I think that the best, the best founders really often have a story that is motivating them, that um, keeps them going when things are really challenging and is their North Star. So I'm curious, given, given that you know, you're, you've dealt with this problem and you have a passion to solve it, are you currently the one kind of going to these employers and selling them? Tell us a little bit more about your what your go-to-market strategy has been and how you have been yeah. involved and then how yeah. you're going to scale beyond just you being this really awesome yeah. spokesperson for the company. Yeah, that's a great question. So as of today, I'm a one-person GTM team. Uh, so I'm doing sales, I'm doing marketing, <laughs> and I'm doing customer success. Um, and so that's challenging because we have yeah. 10... B2B customer, enterprise customers today. That you've that, closed personally. That I've personally closed. Amazing, um, congrats. <laughs> but I still like got to renew and expand those and go out and get other ones. Yeah. And so I'm definitely like running up against my limit of capacity. But in terms of like that initial set of customers, cold LinkedIn DMs, mm. seriously, have, I closed nine of the 10 through just finding our ideal buyer wow. and reaching out, you know, and I, I maybe have like a 5% reply rate on LinkedIn, but it's, it's worked, you know, and, but it's obviously not very scalable. Right. And so the next step for us is we just, you know, raise around. And so I am going to be hiring a customer success manager to really um, manage our existing accounts. We still have so much expansion opportunity at least, you know, a million in additional expansion opportunity through our base. And so if I can have someone focusing on that, then I can spend, you know, more of my time going out and continuing to close new logos. And James, who, who is that call point within the, the employer? Is it the head of benefits? Is it CHRO? Who are you kind of reaching out to um, on, on LinkedIn? Yeah. So this has actually evolved over time. Um, when we first started, our go-to-market hack was kind of going in through DEI, right? Especially because we had this unique approach of matching folks, you know, with providers from similar backgrounds, shared experiences. It was also kind of in the wake of George Floyd when we started. And so that was a great way for us to kind of get in the door. I think, you know, over the past year, we have seen, unfortunately, just the reduction of DEI budgets and, and commitment. Um, and so now we've shifted all of our contracts over to HR and benefits, which I think is actually better for the long term for us, um, you know, more reliable, more durable budgets. And so really all of our customers now are either chief people officers, VPs of total rewards, that type of buyer. And can you talk to us about the unit economics and if this looks more, I'm sensing that this looks more like a SaaS company versus yeah. a services model, because you're not trying to monetize the actual sessions, really you're productizing the matching. Yeah. The software, the matching product is a very high margin product, right? Mm -hmm. Our cost of sales is, is really driven by software hosting, right? 
Um, and so the matching product is, you know, 80 to 90% margin product, yeah. right? What's a little bit different is when we get into like the add-on, right? When we, when we allow employers to cover the cost of sessions, typically, you know, we're taking maybe a 30% margin on the session, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, that, that is an add-on to our, our core business model. You know, moving back to the user journey piece of this. So after the initial match is made yeah. and the employee is, is matched with a the therapist, how do you keep that user continuing to re-engage? It sounds like the sessions obviously occur on the platform, but, but how, how do you, you know, retain that level of engagement over time? So obviously the core of it is there are a certain number of sessions that individuals need to get better. And I, I, it varies for everyone. It depends on the acuity of your needs. But I would say on average, folks need 12 to 16 sessions to start getting better, right? Gotcha. But we are thinking of other ways to engage members. And so, you know, we've rolled out, you know, self-guided tools and exercises that are all therapist created. And so that is accessible. And then we also have um, a, a group programming offering. It's not our core product, of course, but I think we live in a world where HR leaders are also trying to create a culture of well-being. And so oftentimes, you know, we might go into a company and do, and do some sort of mental health training. And that becomes like a touch point where an employee might say, wow, these are really helpful tips for burnout or whatever it is I'm experiencing. Let me take this further and get connected to a therapist, right? And so there are a few other touch points we have in addition to uh, the one-to-one care. Yeah, I love that. Love that. And that's why, yeah, because I was wondering why the employer would be paying per employee per month if ideally the employee finds a great match and that's that, right? Like I've been seeing my therapist for 10 years, so my employer would have paid, you know, been paying every month for a match that was made 10 years ago. But it sounds like actually they're paying per employee per month for some of these other features that you've been rolling out. Yeah, 100%. I think the the core of it is obviously the one-to-one match. But that's not enough, right? You have to, you know, give people additional resources. And I think you have to meet people where they are, right? You know, some people aren't quite ready to sit in front of a therapist one-on-one, right? They need to do some learning. They need to, like, warm up to it. And so um, we provide some of those resources, too. Yeah. Especially men. I just wrote a blog yeah. post Oh, yeah. This. Men are... Oh, yeah. That, that's <laughs> men a, don't that's like a talk big, therapy. <laughs> that, that's a big challenge for us, too, that we're trying to solve for, right? You know, you look at our usage, it's probably, like, 70, 30 Right. And so we're, we're, we are working on our men for sure. Yeah. So, so James, how does this fit in with the entire competitive landscape? I mean, we see the entire focus on, on mental health broadly. We, there are a lot of solutions out there. There's a lot of noise and, and just curious as you think about how Therify is going to continue to break through. I, I love how you've built the most diverse provider network in the business. It's so compelling. Healthcare is so personal. So I absolutely love that. But as you think about a competitive landscape, yeah, yeah. How, how are you guys thinking about it from, from your perspective? I think our advantage is our focus, right? Like I mentioned earlier, we're not trying to be like a comprehensive clinic or solution in the way that say like Lyra or Modern is. We're just focusing on matching. Our solution could be sold as an API that sits on top of a health plan, we're building a software solution. And so I think going through employers is one entry point for us. But because we're just focused on the matching software, 
there are a lot of different applications for that. I think the health plan kind of approach is really interesting because you think about health plans and their desire to deliver better outcomes, right, for their members. If we can sit on top of the health plan and help people find better matches within the health plan and thus get to better outcomes, that's a, that's a win, Phenomenal. right? Phenomenal. We're starting with employers. Like, you know, I think there's a huge opportunity there, but I think when I think about three, five years from now, there are these other opportunities that because of our focus, we can capitalize on as well. You know, the, the progress you shared with us, James, is super exciting. You've got obviously a great set of customers. Any commonalities that you've seen across your customer base thus far? You know, I, I know it's a lot of, as you said, LinkedIn mining and, and a lot of just early BD that you've you've done, but just curious around what, what does your kind of ideal employer look like and, and any kind of shared traits across them? One of the things that I assess just in discovery calls is I call it mental health maturity. And so how, to what extent is this idea of well-being embedded in the, the DNA of the organization already? And, you know, it, it's really hard to assess that when you're like LinkedIn prospecting, <laughs> you know what I mean? But typically the customers where we have the highest engagement and are the best customers, are the ones that there's already like a sense of psychological safety that exists in the company that starts at the leadership level right? Like leadership talks about mental health and makes other people feel comfortable talking about it as well. And so if I were to look at deals we've won and lost, majority of the deals we've lost have probably been deals where the maturity is not there, right? And the buy-in is not there from leadership. And I think that exists in industries like tech, of course, but I think we're seeing it more so in industries like financial services, CPG, even hospitality. Um, you're seeing restaurants in healthcare, right, where there's a huge need in terms of frontline health healthcare workers. And so that's like what I'm really trying to assess in our kind of discovery is the the level of mental health maturity that already exists within the organization. I have to say, it is so impressive that you've built this company at this time because all I hear from employers is how how they're tired of point solutions, like they're just exhausted from taking these meetings. The fact that you have broken through the noise to sell this to 10 different employers shows that there's a real need. So this is awesome. I'm curious, how how big do you think this can get? Um, like how many more employers do you need, you know, as you grow? And then kind of what is the end goal here? Like, you know, you mentioned some some feature expansions, but where do you see this really going in five, 10 years? So you look at the U.S. alone, you know, there are there are about 49 million employees who work at companies that have over 500 employees. So likely to like buy something like this and offer medical benefits. Right. You know, we charge on average $200 per employee per year. So we look at it as a $10 billion market in, in the U.S., right? Yep. And, you know, we are right now 0.0001% of that, right? <laughs> so, so, like, my immediate goal is let's continue to make progress in the employer segment, mm -hmm. right? Huge opportunity there. But beyond that, I'm excited to think about other sources of distribution. Like, how can we have the biggest impact? How can we reach the, the largest number of, of people possible? And that is absolutely through health plans. 
I still like, this is going to scare some people when I say this, <laughs> I have not ruled out consumer. <laughs> oh, I love consumer. Yeah. That, doesn't scare, that doesn't scare me at all. Okay. Depending on the investor, it, it might, you know, <laughs> yeah. Blake, um, are, are you are you scared no. or what? You guys yeah, a little bit, but look, I, I think to your point, Ali, it's the product market fit that you've demonstrated thus far, James, shows that there is such a need for this product. And look, we at NEA we have a lot of investments that are employer facing, and I, I, I echo um, the points that Ali's made. But th- there's there is a way to break through, right? And and there's a way to break through in those discussions. And and I, I think you guys are clearly demonstrating that. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. And the other thing is, this is this is a global problem, mm-hmm. you know. And so we're already getting those requests from customers. We have one customer who we just launched with in the Philippines. Um, wow. We have another customer awesome. that we're serving in Canada. And so that's that's also like a challenge, right? Because we don't want to lose focus too much. There's so much opportunity here in the U.S., but I think we're already experiencing the pull, right? of this is an issue in other countries and a needed solution. And so 10 years from now, this will be a global solution serving tens of millions of people. It's not that the providers don't exist. They're out there. It's just really freaking hard to find the right one. And we all need a little bit of help finding the right one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, James, as you scale globally, obviously that takes capital. And uh, congrats on referencing you just raised your most recent round. You know, as you think about, uh, I, I, I took a sneak peek at your charter that was filed in Delaware. So it looks like it was a s- structured as a series seed. Three. Michael, of course you did. <laughs> so I saw that as a series seed dash three. So, so I'm, I'm assuming you raised an, a, a follow on seed and you're thinking about a series A down the line. When are you looking to get back out into the market and, and what sort of milestones or metrics do you think you want to focus on to optimize that Series A opportunity? Great question. First and foremost, my goal is to be profitable. I, I never want to have to raise. Control your own destiny, my it. friend. Control your own destiny. Right. I love it. I love and it. Like, I don't care what anybody else says. <laughs> that is that is number one. And, and, and we're going to do that right uh, within the next 18 months. But from there, I, th- I think we'll be in a position to raise at the end of 2024. Um, we still have some progress we want, we, we want to make. But um, at that point, we'll be raising again because we see an opportunity to continue expanding. We'll be funded by our revenue, but it'll be an opportunity just to speed things up. There's a huge yeah, need in the it. market and we don't want to wait. Right. We want to capture that as quickly as we can. So is this going to be human capital intensive as you start to scale? Or do you think, you know, that this is going to all be a, a really tight team given the SaaS model focus and the software API uh, uh, focus? J- just curious how you're thinking about that. And uh, and, and then do you have any co-founders, uh, James? I meant to yeah. ask that at the beginning. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're going to keep this ship very lean. I think we'll have, by the time we raise our Series A, say in end of 2024, We'll probably have seven people. Gotcha. We have five right now. We're hiring someone else on the go-to-market front and then hiring another engineer. We have, so I do have a co-founder. He's amazing. He's probably the most intelligent person I've ever met in my life. Uh, he was a software engineer at Hospital Corporation of America. So largest hospital system in the U.S. Um, and spent all of his time building AI and machine learning models to help physicians improve clinical outcomes. And so... He's really the mastermind behind our matching software. 
And um, also, you know, African-American male like myself who lost, you know, his dad prematurely and we bonded over that. You know, we both went through this care experience and experienced a lot of the same struggles. And so, you know, the, the problem is, is personal to both of us. And you have five people now. Could I grow, you know, two more? You guys have been super lean. Can you share kind of anything about your revenue, your burn rate, kind of give us the idea of the scale you're at today? Yeah. Um, so we're earning nearly $400,000 in ARR today. Great. Um, uh, average contract value is 40K and burning about 60K a month. Yep. So the end of the startup ecosystem, 60 K month of burn Blake. I don't know how many times <laughs> you hear that at NEA, but uh, I hear that I, that number usually resonates in minutes. So that's amazing. Yeah, I, that's, I, that's a monthly number. I'm going to ask if there was another zero yeah. that got dropped from that number. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. That's it. That's it. You know, we, we learned early on the, the quickest way to kill your company is to hire too quickly. Yeah. So um, has it been painful in some instances? You know, yes, but I think staying lean is uh, yeah. is how we stay here. And, and James, of the five uh, folks that you referenced, do you have a, a chief clinical or a chief medical officer or someone who's advising you all on kind of the clinician and, and uh, you know regulatory front? Yes, we do. Um, so we have um, a director of clinical strategy and operations. Uh, her name is Claire. She's amazing. Um, she has her doctorate in clinical psychology um, and was previously uh, on the clinical psychology team at Kaiser. And so um, she really oversees and, and leads our, our mm -hmm. clinical strategy. Are the clinicians on your platform? Uh, I, I think the answer is no, but just to confirm, are they paying to be on there? They're Are not. they paying for the deal flow? I mean, is that something that you would consider in the future is like, hey, we have this huge market of people who need care and like ZocDoc. Yeah, I will say, so we actually tested this. Okay. Uh, so we did test this because the thought was, you know, we're, we're doing a great job of sending, you know, we're helping clinicians build their businesses. And it, I think it makes sense when you have a team that's dedicated to doing that. Yeah. But what happened is, I was trying to sell to providers and to employers simultaneously and it just, it's, it's too much, yeah. you know? So I think it's an opportunity in the future, but just not yet. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't want to, you didn't want to hamper the growth of the supply side. Yeah, but, exactly. We just yeah. needed to bring supply in. And but now, uh, I mean, it's, it's something to, it's some, something to consider. Maybe there are tools there, not just the, what's the word? I don't want to say deal flow, <laughs> the, the patient, flow that they get, but there could be other tools that you guys provide as well. Oh yeah. That's on, that's, that has to be on the roadmap. Yeah. You know, I think to scale, um, we need to be really sticky on the supply side too. And so I think we're going to be thinking about tools and, and new ways that we can add value beyond, you know, sending referrals. And they're mostly independent providers. Yeah. Yeah. These are, these are mostly, you know, small group practices, um, we do work with some larger group practices too, which is helpful. You know, the ones that have 20 to 30 clinicians, that's really nice. Um, but a lot of them are, you know, five, 10 people in some instances, maybe two to three and um, are just looking for support building their business. And so that's something that I think we take a lot of pride in too, is, is helping them do that on the supply side. 
Yeah, what's really fascinating about this for me, James, just listening to a lot of the coaching and, and, and other counseling services that are out there, those startups oftentimes are focused more on, let me bring those therapists, those coaches in-house as employees. Let me control that side of the equation. When in reality, yeah. what you're doing is, no, I'm not going to control that as much. Yes, we're going to find qualified people. I'm going to make the match up front perfect. And then the engagement and the stickiness will flow from there. So the way you're yeah. tackling it is just really different. Uh, it's mm -hmm. certainly different from what I'm seeing a lot of those solutions. So, you know, obviously yeah. that was by design, given the personal experiences that you and your co-founder encountered in, in your own personal saga. But yeah, just curious to get further elaboration on that. I mean, do I have that right? Am I, am I focusing in the right in the right way as I think about this business? Yeah, I, I think... You know, hiring people full time is obviously capital intensive, but I also think it's kind of the easy way out. It's like, let me hire this person full time so I can just control everything they do. <laughs> and um, that's not how we really look at it. I think providers want to run their own businesses. You mm -hmm. know, like they want autonomy. They want part. They want to be in partnership rather than be controlled. And I I just didn't see a path long term. Um, where we could scale and have the provider relationships that we would need while also trying to control them. The important thing is the match, right? And if we can work with them in a way that works for us, but also is beneficial to their business and their goals, I think that's ideal. And so that was really the thinking behind that. And who knows, ask me again in a couple of years, <laughs> you know? Um, but for where we are right now, it's just, it's not necessary. And, and if I'm a provider on, on your platform, James, it, it, it totally makes sense. And it, it sounds like, again, it's a match both ways, as you referenced earlier, right? And providers obviously have folks that they want to see as well. It's, you know, allowing them to, you know, functionally practice at the top of their license, right? Yeah. Are there tools that, that I see or that I get as a provider on your platform that make it easier for me to run? Uh, my practice and, and see these patients? Yeah. So what we have right now is a provider facing UI. And so um, there's a client kind of screen, right? Where you can see all of the clients that have requested to meet with you. And then you can also schedule with them through that UI if you would like, right? And so we do make that a lot easier in the instance that we are, that an employer is covering sessions mm -hmm. too. Um, we also handle that reimbursement. And so we're able to pay those providers direct deposit within three to five business days and they can, you know, set up all their billing information and, and whatnot. And so that's another thing that they really like um, is it's just really easy to get paid, especially relative to insurance companies. And so that's what the experience looks like today, right? At a minimum, you can see all of the, the patients who want to meet you. You can see information about them. They're presenting concerns, their insurance information. And then you can decide as a provider, is this a good client for me, right? Um, and then you can go from there. Right. It actually reminds me of looking on, I think I was on United when I was looking for a new therapist after I had moved. And it's a it's a really terrible search experience, right? Like it was just names. You didn't even get faces. You got barely anything. And then you'd have to 
toggle over to another tab and Google them and learn about them. So I really, when I think about your opportunity with health plans, I do think that's going to be huge because not only can you be a, a better tool for the patients and the clinicians, but you're going to save them money if people are doing less uh, sessions that are for fit and it doesn't work, right? Someone might go through three or four. If you can prove that you can make the right match, you know, 90% of people make the right match on the first session, then they're able to dive right into that relationship and not go through multiple folks. So it's a, I think there's a, a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, it, I think it saves time and money on both sides, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's yeah. a really in- interesting study that recently came out saying that on average, average American uh, sees three therapists before they find their perfect match. Wow. Yeah. And that's just, it's just, it's just unacceptable. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, my story is I ended up, so I went through probably three or four that were covered by my health plan, only to end up going back to my old therapist and paying out of pocket because he was just so much better than anyone <laughs> that was in network. I was like, I'd rather just pay out of pocket. Um, unfortunately, yeah. not everybody is able to do that, but my options otherwise just weren't going to help me. Yeah. And I mean, it's also that time, the time that the clinician spends in consultations, not yeah. getting paid. It's, it's, it's a huge pain point. Some clinicians have even been saying like, I'm not going to do consultations anymore. Right. Because I've, I've just been wasting so much time, you know, and it's, it's, so it's, it's, a, it's a pain point on both sides. James, clearly that match is so critical. It's the foundation for this entire approach. So, Help us just understand a little bit of that onboarding. Uh, I, I know you, you you mentioned key factors like cultural background and, and style and what have you. What does it look like? And is it a, a prolonged process for the patient user? You know, could you could you give our listeners just a little background on how that works? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the first thing that you're doing is you're you're taking that self assessment um, that actually feeds into a model, right? And the model is connected to both sides, right? The demand side and the supply side. And so you're going through that assessment where we can understand those factors that I mentioned earlier. Um, There's also what's called a PHQ-9 involved in that. And what the PHQ-9, it's it's basically a clinical assessment that's helping us understand the acuity of your needs and also if you're at risk of suicidal ideation, right? Right. And so, you know, that's an opportunity for us to intervene earlier if we need to, right? But from there, what's happening is you are getting those recommendations instantaneously. Before, when we first started, it was kind of a prolonged process when you we had to wait 48 hours, right? Where our clinical team would take it back, put together the recommendations. Now, I think our model has gotten good enough, right? Where we can deliver those recommendations instantaneously. Wow. That said... Those recommendations are also coming from a care navigator, right? And so you're receiving those recommendations, but they're attached to a human, say, I'm Claire, I'm your care navigator. If you have any questions about these recommendations, let me know. If you need new recommendations, let me know. And so there's also kind of a human-centered approach there that I think is really nice, right? Especially for someone who has never done this before, Maybe you get your recommendations and you're like, these all look good, but I don't really know who to pick, right? Can you talk to me about this? And so you're getting those recommendations right away, but there's also human support there to help you, right? Uh, If you need them. Amazing. Any last questions or should we wrap up? Blake, do you have any any last questions? 
No, this has been incredible. No, it's great. so helpful to, to hear. And, and again, thank thank you, James, for sharing your, your personal story with, with all of us um, and, and kind of the reason why you, you founded Therify. Yeah, James, how can people follow along in the Therify story? Yes, Han, follow me on LinkedIn. <laughs> James Edward Murray, talk a lot about our work on LinkedIn. And if you work in HR, you should ping him. Make it so yes. that he doesn't have to ping you. <laughs> yes, ping, please, inbound. <laughs> Woo. There's no other way to make me happy. There's no better way to make me happy than an inbound lead. Uh, my email address, I'll say it. It's J-E-M, James Edward Murray, J-E-M at therify.co. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at hello therify. And um, yeah, it's just been really nice to have this conversation. And I hope for the folks who are listening, if I haven't met you yet, uh, hope to engage and, and talk about this work. Um, it's really important. Yeah, truly grateful, James uh, and Blake. Thank you both for joining us. And, and James, let's stay in touch. Before that Series A, there's lots to talk about, so we can uh, sure. we can strategize around around key key considerations in that. But uh, really grateful to you, James, for joining us. Blake, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to to participate today. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, seeing and hear and and listening to to this with all our listeners going forward. Amazing. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. And that's closing time for today. A huge thanks to our partners at Fenwick for underwriting this show. Recording, editing, and audio mixing by Kyle Moore. Thanks to our guests and to you, our listeners, for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And check out our website, closingtimepodcast.com for more exclusive content. Until next time, this is Hallie Tecco and Michael Esquivel for Closing Time. Closing Time.